think there's like a Slack bot at Bump that just makes fun of all the stuff I say over and over. And this is one of those things, right? I don't know. I mean, I don't want to be an armchair quarterback, but it still feels odd that at significant headcount, you need to cut 30% of your staff. I basically like created my own QR code to intercept the traffic uh, of these scans because I just wanted to know like how many scans they were getting, right? But you're not the, you're not the idiot. You're just the criminal. <laughs> hey guys, welcome back to the Results Junkies podcast. Last week we had Paul screaming about the insane pitch that I gave him mid-show, and it sounds like he's going to pay me back for that this week. Uh, but before we dig into that this week, we are going to sort of uncover some things about the economy and what that might mean for both, well, actually for three groups, for founders, for key employees that get stock as a meaningful part of their compensation, and then investors and how we should be thinking about all these things. Uh, but uh, but first, I, since our cameras are disabled, I, I don't know, have you are, you, are you home, Paul? I am. I'm home this week, uh, hitting the road on Monday, though, uh, back to Peoria. Ah, wonderful. Yeah, I'm out in Vegas next week, and um, I have the good fortune of paying United uh, $700 one way to sit in coach uh, to get there. That's pretty exciting. I saw your, uh, your, I think I saw your tweets on this. Uh, was it Spirit Airlines uh, charging a couple hundred bucks for first class as well, or something like that? 180 bucks just for the big front seat. Uh, but what I think is like even more egregious, because you've sat in these seats so many times, domestic first class United from Dulles to Vegas nonstop, $2,200 one way. <laughs> it's a, it's, is there any world? Is there any world where that cheese sandwich is worth $2,200? No, no. I mean, I remember the old <laughs> days when they'd, they'd often bring out the, uh, the legendary ice cream cart, but I don't even think you get uh, that anymore either. So, No, no. If you're lucky on long transcon flights, sometimes they'll give you like a little like half pint of Hagen dazs Yeah. You know, on a totally random note, I was walking the boys last night um, through the neighborhood and I saw a, uh, uh, you know, we live, you know, kind of, you can see the the takeoff path from our home. We're not under it, but we yeah. can see it, you know. Anyway, I looked over and there was a, a 747 climbing. Uh, it was a Lufthansa um, plane and I ended up pulling it up on flight radar yeah. and looking at the registration number and uh, it was kind of cool. I had actually flown on that plane back to, uh, to Frankfurt oh. like 10 years ago. Anyway, totally oh. random story because I'd also read that, you know, they're, they're starting to get to, you know, the end of their service lives. And anyway, it was kind of like bittersweet. I was like, man, I used to ride on that one. Um, it's just so beautiful. Like none of the new planes look as good as that one. So no. anyway, no, they don't. The only saving grace that you have with, with folks like Lufthansa and maybe like British Airways to some degree is that some of them took the newer version, the seven four seven eight. It was the eight I, I think. That was that Correct. was that aircraft. Right. Yeah, right. And the eight I's are about ten years old, which means that we probably have another ten years of Lufty flying those. And so, um, I don't know about you, but I don't think I'm going to be a road warrior for another twenty years. Um, you know, so I think there's a pretty good chance that the seven forty seven will still be available for a decent chunk of my road. Yeah. Yep. 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 I agree. Well, uh, if anybody's listening and can snag some of their pretzel bread in flight, send it to me, please. I love that stuff. Yeah. Keep it warm somehow. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, upstairs on a Lufty 747 is always a great place to be if you're heading upstairs mm-hmm. on uh, on a Lufthansa plane. Only good things can happen. Yeah. So, um, so let's dig in here to the economy. Um, and for folks who are listening in, we talked about this last week. Um, as a, a quick aside, if you're interested in live pitching us, um, we are looking for some folks to live pitch your concepts. We promise we won't be too rough. Um, but you know, you can email us show at resultsjunkies.com. Uh, you can find Paul at Paul Singh on all the platforms. You can find me at Pizza in Motion and all those same social media platforms except for the TikTok. And um, we'd love to love to line some folks up for pitches. Feel free to send us questions, um, throw tomatoes, whatever works for you guys. But um, but if you haven't left us a five star review and a rating, that would also be super awesome as well on Apple or Spotify. So uh, so the economy is um, is murky at best. And, you know, Paul, you brought this topic up yesterday of just how these sorts of gyrations in the market are causing, you know, severe overvaluations. We're we're seeing some more layoffs and it's it's going to cause founders to think through some things. And uh, I'll, I'll stop there for just a second and sort of let you tee up in terms of you know, what you saw in, in terms of layoffs and, and valuations that's, that's got us thinking about what to do next. For better or for worse, I, you know, I, I keep in touch with a lot of founders and, and um, uh, long story short, I tweeted earlier this week that uh, I had seen, started to see a, a bunch of uh, later stage term sheets get retracted and the valuations get reset just in the last two weeks. So uh, something like yeah. 15 or 17 term sheets like that uh, across various industries, but all later stage. Um, anyway, I tweeted about it and, and started getting a bunch of DMS and, uh, unsurprisingly, uh, other people, uh, started to kind of corroborate that as well. But, um, but it's all tied together, you know, like I don't want to, uh, you know, bore people. You don't listen to this for economics or anything like that. But, but, you know, the, the thing is though, is that I think there's two sort of interesting trends happening here. Uh, I think, you know, just this week we saw, I think the Dow dropped another thousand plus points or something earlier this week, uh, or maybe a couple of days ago, something like that. And, you know, the thing about it is the two interesting trends that are happening now is, is that the companies that are raising those larger rounds now are seeing some of that get reset. Uh, and on the other side, you're starting to see more and more, uh, announcements of layoffs, unfortunately, uh, particularly from the companies that did raise at pretty you know, eye-watering valuations last year. Um, and I know we talked a lot about this uh, a couple episodes ago. You know, you were talking about, you know, the responsibility of leadership teams and, and that sort of thing. But look, I, I think that there's just a reset happening now and it's not all bad. Uh, unfortunately, some people are going to kind of get caught in the shuffle and it's not going to be comfortable, but uh, it, there's a reset happening now. Um, and I think the what's happening is the public markets are, uh, shifting, uh, you know, as, as those things tumble, then valuations will follow and, um, you know, investors will start to like sit on the sidelines a little longer and, you know, we're going to shift from a founder's market to an investor's market, uh, on the fundraising side. So anyway, let me, let me pause there. Cause I, I, I have a couple, you know, tactical things on this, but, um, wh- what are you thinking? Like, are you, you're seeing the same stuff as me? Like, you know, any, any, any thoughts on, uh, like, Main Street just announced, uh, you know, a 30% layoff. Uh, I think Cameo just did. I mean, there's a bunch of companies, just big brands that are that are announcing layoffs now. How, how are you reacting to it? 
I, I still struggle with the 30% layoff just because I think, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I'm, you know, I'm glad to see companies take the, you know, the, the harsh tactic of, you know, hey, like we need to do this to right size our company or to push us in a new direction because we hired some folks that don't meet the future needs of the company. But it's still, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to be an armchair quarterback, but it still feels odd that at significant headcount, you'd need to cut 30% of your staff. It would seem like you probably went pretty far down a path that, um, you know, that, that you didn't see coming. So I, I struggle with that. Well, I think, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, that's a that's a fair point. I, I would just say, though, uh, as a reminder, that when you raise those kinds of numbers, um, let, me, let me say this a different way. Uh, for bootstrapped companies, you rarely see this much over hiring, you know, bootstrap companies with that, with that, with the, with their constraints typically raise in a very, you know, linear fashion. Um, yeah. In my experience, funded companies don't do that. Funded companies tend to do hiring in like stepladder waves, right? Because you're, when you raise money, you're actually raising money to go faster there. You know, you still have the same 12 to 18 month window as everybody else, but now you've raised money. So you've got to move fast and headcounts usually the best way to do it. So, so this phenomenon is particularly limited to, to venture funded companies, particularly at these later stages when, when you've raised 40, 50 or a hundred million dollars and the expectation is that you're going to deploy it in 12 to 18 months, you know, it's, it's, it's going to go to headcount. <laughs> so, so it's yeah. not, it's not unsurprising that, you know, venture funded companies have now all of a sudden found themselves, uh, in a odd position of having way too much headcount, uh, when now they notice that like their prospects of growth are getting harder and harder, you know, the economy's slowing down and, um, that future capital that they might've depended on is probably not as, you know, solid as it, as it once was. And so now they're just hard resetting. So anyway, I, I'm not saying you're wrong, by the way, and I'm not saying your, your, re your reaction's wrong. I'm just saying like, it's just important to recognize that like bootstrapped companies, th the reason you don't hear bootstrapped companies announcing this more often, especially right now is because they didn't, they, they hire it linearly. You don't hear of them hiring a hundred people at a time, you know, for next quarter's prospects. You know, we don't do that at bump. Nobody, nobody else does that when you have a bootstrap constraint, but all these other companies that raise, they, they announced their billion dollar valuation six months ago uh, and the hundred million in the bank or whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, you look at them on LinkedIn and they're just hiring, hiring, announcing new people and, and stuff like that. So any, anyway, I, I think that like the, the interesting part of this now is, is what do you do? Like I, I one thing I want to say though, is, is that it's not doom and gloom. Like, I don't think, I, I think I've said this on the, on, on our show before, like my default position is optimism, you know, uh, and I think even now I'm, I'm not pessimistic. I'm just cautiously optimistic. And I think that, uh, for the operators and the, and the, and the founders that are, that might be listening here, I think that, you know, what you should probably be doing right now is, is pretty simple. I mean, it's not going to be easy, but there's, I think there's three things that everybody, um, should be thinking about right now, whether you're bootstrapped or, uh, funded. Um, and the first is, I think you got to do a, a, a really honest risk assessment internally, um, I know that doesn't sound like rocket science, but most founders, you know, don't do this. Uh, but you know, and if actually, if you email me or email us show at results junkies, I'll, I'll send you a template of, of kind of how I do it. But basically what we've done is we've outlined every possible thing that could go wrong and nothing is crazy. 
like everything from a tornado to uh, espionage to uh, supply chain to, you know, computers break down, viruses, everything. Anyway, we put this all on this big spreadsheet and then we categorized it with a couple different, on a couple different filters, you know, like how catastrophic could this be? How likely is this going to happen? You know, that sort of thing. And then we just built this spreadsheet off of it, sorted it. And that's the first thing everybody should do because, you know, it's the fatal things that you really need to be worried about. You know, like for example, with us, supply chain could be a fatal thing. You know, we, uh, right now, like, uh, you know, we ended last year, I think just shy of a $40 million run rate. Like the probability of a company like us going to zero is very, very low, unless we don't have anything to sell, you know? So, so anyway, do the risk assessment. I think that's the first thing everybody should do. The, the second thing, and again, this applies to, to funded or bootstrap people is fix your economics. Uh, you know, again, whether you're funded or not, the bottom line is, is that you probably need to look at your margins. You probably need to look at your, your balance sheet. You need to look at all that stuff and just, you know, trim the fat where you, where it makes sense. You know, it's again, not doom and gloom, but just trim the fat where it makes sense. And particularly if you're on the fundraising path, look at where your, you know, runway ends currently and start looking at ways to, to fix that. So, you know, whether that's trimming fat to push that runway out a little further uh, or maybe calling in lines of credit if you're feeling really optimistic, you know, wh whatever you need to do. Just the second thing you really got to do, though, is look at your economics, look at the balance sheets, and just make sure that you understand what your cash position is going to look like uh, over the next few months. And then the third thing is double down on growth. Uh, you know, between, between iOS, you know, 14 that we've been talking about for months now, and uh, the economy now, and all this other stuff happening, you know, you're not going to save your way out of this problem. Uh, you know, you still are going to have to double down on growth. And, um, you know, the way you really got to be thinking about this is, is that if you were, pro if you were expecting, you know, let's say two or three or five X growth in the next 12 months before all this happened, uh, you know, you should just recognize it's going to take double or triple the amount of work now to figure that out and, and just don't lose sight of that. So, um, again, not, not, you know, this is not groundbreaking and new, but I just don't think enough people are talking about this right now. So just to summarize again, it's a risk assessment. Uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, looking at your internal economics uh, and cash position uh, for the next few months and then just doubling down on growth, uh, whatever that might mean for your company. What about you? Where are you on, uh, on this, Ed? Well, I, I want to follow it up though with a question because I think we just, we just started to get into it when we were doing a little pre-show prep and I think it's an interesting point for folks to think about, you know, you mentioned as part of this overvaluation that, um, that there are going to be folks out there whose, you know, options are underwater and they might be looking for new companies. And so for, for startups, this may be a great time to, you know, pick off a key hire and, and attract someone. Um, and that sort of led me down this path of when you were talking about things that, you know, founders should be doing right now. Um, and I, you know, I wonder what, the new ESOP should look like. Um, and, you know, I actually, as I'm saying here, I forget what ESOP stands for, but essentially it's your, uh, your option pool. Oh, so employee stock option pool. Um, That's exactly what it anyway, is. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you are overvalued right now and trying to attract or retain talent, is this the time to either issue more shares or if you don't have enough in, in, you know, dry powder in your ESOP, is it time to go back to your investors and say, hey guys, like we need to, you know, to protect, you know, to fortify the, the folks that we have or to attract key talent. 
now's the time for us to 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 give ourselves some more dry powder and make sure we've got enough uh, enough shares to attract key people since you know shares are such a big part for some of these key employees of their compensation. Okay, so there's a lot baked in there, but I'll just start by saying yes to all of that. Um, so actually, I I uh, actually I spoke to a reporter at Insider.com. Uh, a couple of days ago, and, and actually an article just came out about this where I talked a little bit about this, where, you know, what's what's happening here, what I'm seeing anyways behind the scenes is that uh, the, the, the best talent, you know, like whether you call them senior or uh, advanced or highly technical, highly specialized, like the best talent at a lot of these overvalued companies seem to be making moves now. And, and it's, it's actually, uh, um, you know, if, if the reason I kind of talked about those three things everybody should be doing right now is because I think that the best, the companies that are best prepared for the next few months, again, whether you're bootstrapped or funded, the companies that are best prepared for the next few months are going to be in an amazing position to capture talent that you probably couldn't have, have afforded just a year ago. Um, and, and just to explain that a little bit further, you know, just just imagine an uh, uh, just let's just make an imaginary person who uh, you know joined one of these unicorns a year ago. Um, you know, they probably had a pretty healthy cash compensation, but I would bet, as with most private companies, they probably also had a pretty healthy uh, stock option. Uh, you know, grant uh, that, that probably still needs to vest, of course. But you know, uh, but here here's the point. Let me just get let me just go right to it. If you were issued shares, let's say you were that imaginary employee that just got hired last year and you're making a ton of money, but you also got, let's say, you know, a, a million dollars worth of shares, that probably sounds good until you zoom out and you look at it and you're like, wait a second, I, I got in at a, a billion dollar valuation, for example, or a $500 million valuation. How much higher can this thing go in a, in a, in a, in a good market? But at the same time, here we are in May of 2022 now, and you know you're reading all this stuff, you know, uh, of of the economy and all this stuff, and now you're like, man, my stock options are underwater. You know, like we're more likely to have a down round uh, at this next funding. Like, you know, what am I even doing? And so, what you're seeing now, or at least what I'm seeing behind the scenes, is is a lot of these these more senior, or highly technical, highly specialized people um, are are moving sort of downstream to like earlier stage companies because the options are worth more. And so to your other part of your question, you know, when, when you do that risk assessment, I actually think the most uncomfortable part of that risk assessment that I think everybody should do is you need to start thinking about, you know, not ranking your employees, but, but looking at like putting them on the list, you know, like, are there certain roles in your company that if they left, it would be really problematic? You know, and it's not about picking favorites or anything like that. It's about, you know, again, looking at that, those, those people and those, those seats that you have and saying, okay, like, you know, okay, now that I know, like if, if these roles left, that wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. We'd still have to hire for it, but you know, but Hey, if that role left, it would take our company's eye off the ball for, you know, three months or six months while we try to hire that person. And once you go through that exercise, then I think you have to start looking at, the stock option pool, uh, to your point, uh, that, you know, how do you incentivize these people, particularly as earlier stage companies to, to want to stay longer or to, you know, maybe, um, feel more valued. So anyway, I, I'm not articulating this really well, but, uh, 
the, that was a long way of just saying yes to your question of like, you know, should founders be reviewing their stock option grants? And the answer again is yes. Uh, your best talent will always have options, right? Uh, uh, let me let me rephrase that. Your best talent <laughs> will always have, uh, you know, other people recruiting them. So you got to make sure that that you know uh, they feel valued, that they're compensated properly, you know, all of the things. But it again, it all starts with that risk assessment, and you got to be sobering about it. Uh, did, did I did I answer your question though? You did, and you know I think what I would also say just as a, a bookend to that because all those, all those things are are to me right and spot on for founders. I'd also say from an investor side, in in all the time I've been investing, and and certainly I'm nowhere near as prolific an investor as you. You're you know well over two thousand companies. You know we're over a hundred, but we're not you know, over a thousand. Um, I remember exactly two instances where we as an investor had a discussion about some sort of recapitalization to allow for more shares because we wanted the founders to have the right, uh, you know, stake in the company to make sure they were still motivated for growth. And I think we only succeeded in in actually apportioning more shares in one of those two instances. So I, I do think this is something that's probably not talked about as often as it should be and in an economy like this you know if you don't want your your investment to go pear-shaped i think at, at a bare minimum you should be open to these conversations with with your founders and it, you know in a perfect world you should be leaning in and trying to have these conversations with your founders about encouraging them to be ahead of the curve to make sure they have enough shares to keep key talent Yes. I mean, I just can't say this enough, right? You know, particularly for private companies, you know, that are growth focused, um, you know, actually, let me just kind of really be blunt. You're right. Nobody really talks about this. It's super uncomfortable. You know, there, there's this weird employer employee relationship thing you don't want. You know, it's just weird. Nobody talks about this. But but I, but I, let me just say it to you this way. If you're an employer listening to this, hear me out. If, you know, if 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 your if your compensation if your if if your entire team's compensation packages somehow leak to the public, would your employees be unhappy about it? Like in other words, right. you know, if you wake up in the middle of the night, kind of knowing that you've been able to underpay people, like you don't have to admit that to me or anybody else. But if you if there's anything in your in the back of your mind where you're like. Hey man, if this ever got out, like that would be bad. Or you know, hey, I you know, I'm I'm definitely paying that person five thousand below market. If any of that's happening, it's probably worth at least talking about or thinking about what you can do to make it right. Now, look, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you you got to like come up with that five k or whatever. But there's creative ways to fix this problem. But just fix the problem. Uh, make those people feel valued. You know what you can't afford right now, like. Growth is going to be really hard in 2022, uh, you know, and I know everybody says that, but like, just, it's so important. Like, you know, uh, growth is going to be so important. So anything that could potentially take your company's eye off the ball of growth this year is a real problem. It's going to be way more problematic than you realize. Um, so get ahead of it now. And, and then back to the other topic get ahead of it now but also get your get yourself and your company in a position to capture the attention of uh this really amazing talent that went to these later stage companies a year ago but is probably now starting to shop for better opportunities um cuz what you can give them that they couldn't get anywhere else now 
is upside. You know, it's it's hard to make you know as yeah. a, as an employee, it's hard to make any you know life changing wealth uh, when you join after a Series C or Series D or F or whatever. Um, you know, and and on the other side, like it's it's very risky to join early stage startups. But I, I like to tell people, you know, uh, you want to join a company before any sort of like Series B. You really want to join you know, after they've raised their first round, if that's the case, and before they're like valued over 20 or $30 million. And that's, that's a little sweet spot you really want to kind of get into. Um, and we can maybe talk about that on another show, but, but for the employers listening though, you know, uh, you better start thinking about this. Cause I guarantee you your best, your best, uh, employees are already thinking about it. And I would bet money. They've probably already been approached uh, over the last couple of weeks by other people trying to recruit them too. All right. Well, before we run out of time this week, uh, I am firmly in the crosshairs and you're going to, you're going to give me a choice. <laughs> and I don't know what the choice uh, is. So, you know, I, first of all, I, I actually really enjoyed what you did last week when we did that, you know, sort of blind pitch. I, that was actually kind of fun. Uh, and I'm surprised you know, I, in the pre-show, you mentioned that you had, uh, sn- uh, you know, cut out that section where I said, you know, that was insane. I hope you text that to yeah. me. I need to make that a meme or something like that. That would be, uh, oh, yeah. that would yeah, be amazing. Uh, it's on its way. It's All on right. its way. It's on its way. It's, it's, it's so, it's so great. And maybe we'll ask Jeremiah to drop it in the episode. Just so please. I want to tweet that. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, it might be my new response to, uh, to other Everything. pitches. <laughs> okay so i know we only have a few minutes i wanted to give you a choice uh um uh, for this one last topic i just want to talk about today so okay option a uh, i want to get your thoughts on starbucks and their announcement of you know creating the digital third place uh, with nfts and blockchain and all that stuff or option two uh i want to get your thoughts on um qr codes in the context of restaurants and bars and you know, uh, that sort of thing, uh, since I know you know so much about restaurants. So what, which of those two, uh, is more interesting to you right now? So I'm going to be brutally honest and say that even though we've done some work inside, uh, our company on NFTs and the markets and stuff like that, I, uh, I am still very much <laughs> a skeptic of that world. Uh, so I think I'm going to choose what's behind door number two and, and, uh, and hopefully not get my, uh, ass handed to me as you ask me about QR codes. <laughs> well, no, 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 I, it, I won't put you in any weird spot. All right. So, uh, all right, let's talk about QR codes. So, you know, you, you know, um, back, uh, at the Super Bowl this year that Coinbase put out this QR ad, it was just this little, yep. you know, bouncing pong style QR code and it, um, it, it really just sort of, uh. I had heard from other people that it sort of uh, uh, boosted adoption uh, of QR codes and stuff like that. Anyway, it was a really, I think a really gutsy play, right? Where somebody just, everybody else is spending millions of dollars on ad campaigns and these guys like bought the ad time and just bounced a QR code to, to Coinbase uh, everywhere. Anyway, so I, uh, l- let me start with a broader question and then we'll kind of go narrow. Uh, and I promise I'm not fishing. I'm just genuinely curious here. Uh, are you guys using QR codes at any of your restaurants or any of the restaurants that you um, are familiar with? So we are uh, at Five Guys, but probably not in the way that you're asking. We are only using QR codes right now on flyers to attract employees. So we have you know a QR code up in the restaurant that says you know scan here for all of our hiring incentives. 
Interesting. And, 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 and a genuine question here. Do you guys look at like the analytics of that? Do you look at like, you know, do, I don't know, scan rates and conversion rates? What, what do you, what do you guys look at? How do you know that those flyers are working? So we don't necessarily look at conversion rates overall. We do look at where a candidate comes from. And um, so we know it's a walk-in versus something else. And, you know, QR is really the only you know, viable walk-in path. And, and I would say that, um, you know, the, 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 just notionally that that demographic tends to skew younger, uh, which I don't think is a big surprise. And, um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're any more or less reliable so far than other, uh, inbound channels because we just have, uh, we still have a very high turnover rate in the restaurants. Okay. Okay. So I know we're coming short on time here, so I'm going to like I'm going to admit something and, uh, uh, you know, maybe this will be, uh, you're either going to like hate me for this. You're going to tell me to call my lawyer (laughs) or you're going to make this a topic for next, uh, next week. We'll see. Um, okay. So I'm really fascinated by these QR codes. I'm, I, I, you guys have, you've heard me say this for years now. I'm really fascinated. I, I think that the future, like the biggest money to be made as entrepreneurs and investors over the next 10 years is going to be at the intersection of online and offline. And you've heard me say it. Everybody's heard me say it. You know, it's to the point where like now at the, I think there's like a Slack bot at bump that just makes fun of all the stuff I say over and over. And this is one of those things, right? Okay. So, uh, I, I, okay. So I'm, I'm afraid to admit this. Some of the lawyers are going to come after me anyway. Okay. So I'm really fascinated by these QR codes and I've noticed, uh, you know, in the DC area, there's a lot of these bars that have bars and restaurants that have little table toppers, little stickers that, you know, you, you click to, or you scan to get to the menu. Right. So I basically replaced them <laughs> without permission. Uh, so what I did was I went to a couple of these places and kind of like just scanned them with my phone and I could see the pattern. Like I could see, Oh, the, okay. This one is using toast or go tab or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, I so anyway, you know, cause you, when you scan the QR code, it goes directly to whatever the link is. Right. So I just kind of looked at it. Sure. I could see yeah. the patterns right away. And so I just made a couple of QR stickers and put them into these places. All right. So what I did just to be clear, <laughs> and this is where the attorneys are going to come <laughs> after me probably, uh, I basically like <laughs> created my own QR code to intercept the traffic uh, of these scans. Cause I just wanted to know like how many scans they were getting. Right. And it blew me right. away. It blew me away. So, uh, uh, like at a couple bars in DC. So I, by the way, I'm probably gonna get in trouble. I'm so scared of this now, but I figured if anybody was going to like, you know, come after me, I figured that like bars might be the least likely to, to really <laughs> like pursue a lawsuit. Cause I, you know, um, so we'll see, but anyway, uh, so I put this out in like 10 or 10 or 12 bars uh, where I replaced the menu QR codes. I just replaced the sticker, you know, <laughs> and right. uh, about 2000 scans uh, a, a week started coming in from the, like, let me rephrase the average bar that I did this at in downtown DC and replaced their menu QRs was getting 2000 scans a week per location, which to me was insane. So then I, um, I was, uh, uh, anyway, I know we're running out of time, but here's the thing. I'm real I'm I was inter- I started out by being interested in how much QRs are being used and, you know, most people I talk to uh, in the in the restaurant and bar world don't seem to have very good metrics. They just put QR codes out there cuz 
they were forced to in the pandemic. Like I asked a couple people, I was like, why do you do this? And they're like, oh, right. well, you know, the pandemic, they couldn't touch anything. So we did this QR thing, da, da, da. And then when I asked them the follow-up question of like, how often is it being used? Nobody knows. So that's what got me down to this path. So then I started replacing them. I didn't want to like negotiate. I just want to replace them and just see. So I built a little proxy server and all that stuff and did it. Anyway, then I started to see the numbers and I'm like, whoa, this is a lot higher than I thought. And it got me thinking, what about like that interstitial page? Like why aren't people, you know, like when you go to Dulles Airport or any airport right now and you hook up to the Wi-Fi, that free air quotes for Wi-Fi, what do they make you do? They make you look at an ad or they make you click on something. They make you trade an email to get on or whatever. Right. And I just started thinking about like, what, what could this real estate be used for? So here's the second part, assuming the lawyers aren't coming after me yet, is I then, so then I put a little delay. So I basically took their logos, right? Uh, you know, I, I don't think mm -hmm. I'm a bad guy. I took their logos. And so, you know how like when you go to a ra random restaurant or bar and you scan the QR you watch your phone and it goes directly to wherever that menu is. Uh, that seems pretty yep. obvious. Um, if you do this at some of the places that I did this at, what happens is an, a little page pops up first. And, um, you know, just right now it just has a bouncing logo of their, of their restaurant or bar. It's just, it's just there. It wasn't there before, but I put it in there now. And that's, you know, my page where I'm like, oh, can I drive these people to sign up for that place's newsletter? And I'll just tell, I'll just hint at it now and then we'll leave it because I know you got to go. The conversion rates are insane. Insane. And now I'm like, wait a second. Why aren't more people doing this? Like, am I the idiot? Uh, you know, or is it because like nobody's really thinking about this? I don't know. Anyway, all that to say, there's something about these QR codes. It's really fascinating. Look, you're not the, you're not the idiot. You're just the criminal. Okay. Is that criminal <laughs> though? I, I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't know. We'll see. If you're a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I don't think I'm a criminal yet. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Let me let me pause there. Uh, I went a little too long on that. but uh, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about it in a future episode. But here's what I want. I want to know not just what the conversion numbers are, which are great. But at some point, I want to see what these people do like do they respond to offers to emails that sort of stuff that's that's where the that's where the sauce will be if it's if it's if it's to be had so and we'll leave it there deal well the good news by the way just to kind of end that on a high note is that i don't think i'm going to get prosecuted it turns out that the, the the guys that own these bars uh were very open to it when i emailed them some of the numbers later and uh so i'm helping them actually like i'm not doing much i just built some code on this thing but anyway i'll let you know i'll tell you what the conversion rates are on the email signups and and all that and uh yeah it'll be fun well and in fairness i mean even the flip side is appealing because i never have podcasted as a guest in prison so we'll leave that up as a as a possibility for a future episode to go <laughs> remote to uh to, to paul while he awaits trial if i get arrested you will be my first call Okay, that's definitely not a good idea. It should definitely be Dana, unless you're getting arrested for something she would not approve of. So I'll leave that up to you. But if I need to be the first call, it just better be a damn good story. <laughs> I love it. All right, buddy. Always fun talking to you. And I will see you soon. <laughs>